Welcome to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood, a podcast that's all about changing the way we view midlife and bringing the conversation about menopause out into the open. Each week we share stories, experiences and inspiration. We talk to experts on how to best navigate this time of life and find out how other people have not only survived but thrived through this time. I'm your host, Karen O'Connor. Hello and welcome. Today I'm here with Louise Pieri, who is a friend of mine, and she's pretty amazing in what she does anyway, because she's still a figure skater. She's been figure skating for far too many years. But she messaged me the other week. She's done a degree in criminology and she's also uh are you a psychologist? You're doing oh criminal justice. Well, I go on. Yes, I've also got uh I'm almost finished a degree in psychology, the undergraduate degree in psychology, as well as the criminal justice. As well as the criminal justice. Yeah, that's right. And you've also got a business too. You sell the most fabulous jewellery. So she's kind of like a jack of all trades. So tell me for a start, first of all, tell me about your career in ice skating because you, I've seen the videos of you. You're pretty amazing. And then how did you end up, because you've also got kids, so you've been doing ice skating for a very long time. You got kids. Then you went back to university, did a degree in criminology and psychology. And then you've also started a business at the same time. Tell me all about that. Yeah. Okay, so with the ice skating, I'll start with that. I started at about eight um, years of age and I skated probably up till I was a teenager and then quit because there were more interesting things to do as a teenager, like parties and things like that. But because I'd skated you know, up to 40 hours a week as a child. I had, I didn't have much of a childhood because I was always on the ice. I never, my body never forgot the skill. So I had many, many years break, probably about 18 years. When my youngest went off and my last uh, child went off to school, I decided to go back at the age, I might have been about 36 or th- 7, and I just started going for exercise a couple of times a week and then I found when I wasn't there I was thinking about it. And a one of the coaches um, at the ice rink um, approached me and said, you know, um, maybe you should do some lessons. And, and then uh, I started getting really serious about it and she put me in a competition um, and I thought, oh, you know, it's just going to be a little um, club competition, you know, a couple of minutes on the ice. And, and she said, oh, no, I'm putting you in the state titles. And I was like, I've only been skating for three months, what? So I had a, probably a month or two to prepare and then competed in um, state titles in the, I think it was silver because um, there's all different divisions depending on age. So I was in the geriatric division, obviously. But I won it, well, to my surprise and everybody else's, because no one had heard of me. And then I went on to compete at nationals and... And I also won that and then I won, continued to do that for three years and then I had a knee injury and I had to stop competing. So I just do it for pleasure now. Wow. That's so inspirational to start back at something at a later age and then be really good at it to everybody's surprise, including your own, you know, that I'm not being patronised. Oh, such a shock. I can imagine, you know, like, oh, my God, Really? 
Yeah, I mean, even my family were like, because they hadn't actually seen me skate. My children, I came off the ice from that first state competition and my daughter was crying, tears of joy, and, yeah, so it was really moving. Wow. It's interesting. I was talking to a guy over the weekend and he was he's 74 now and he decided when he was 72 that he wanted to beat the world record for the 100-metre sprint in his age group. And he's wow. having never done any running since he was a teenager. And he's something like 0.7 seconds off the world record for his age group now. Wow. <laughs> so it's so, it's so motivating, isn't it? It's, we yeah. don't need to give up just because of our age. It's fantastic. So well, I'm forgetting so far so quickly. Well done. Oh, thank you. I think um, it helped that I already had so much experience and training as a child. I don't think I would have achieved that if I hadn't, if I'd just taken it up as an adult. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I, when I got back on a horse, I think I'd had 13 years break, but I was immediately like, okay, let's go for a gallop. Yeah. <laughs> I just knew what to do because I've done yeah. it so long as it when I was growing up, you know. It's really fascinating yeah. how your body just remembers. Yeah, there is uh there is research on that, um, that the body remembers on a cellular level. The, it's not just mu- muscle memory, but also um like a neurological pathways and that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, that is fascinating. We might have to talk about that as well. Now, what did you do in your life? What made you go back and study psychology and criminology? Um, Well, I moved from Sydney um, up to the Gold Coast and I wasn't working and the kids were enrolled in school and I'd always wanted to go into social welfare or psychology or criminology because I really was fascinated by why people do what they do, and particularly in the context of crime, because what makes somebody uh, murder, rape some uh, another person and violate their boundaries, and then other people pro-social and never break the law. And the psychology behind that was really fascinating to me. So um, I kind of went into it without an end goal other than doing the actual degree to satisfy my own curiosity, really. And what was it like? Did you enjoy it? I absolutely loved it. And I think it's uh, so much better to do it as an adult, as a mature age student, because I got more out of it, I think, than if I'd just been straight out of school and I really wanted to be there and I wasn't just, it wasn't just a box ticking exercise to get into a job. I was there for the journey. Mm. Did, yeah. did you? Did you feel that because you must have been with um, students who just left school, did you feel that your life experience made a difference to that? Did it make the studying easy or understanding what was going on easier, do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Some aspects were harder because there is a lot of statistics. And when I was at school in the 70s and 80s, we didn't do statistics and they seemed to just get it. So when it came to research methodology, I struggled a bit there. But in terms of more abstract concepts, it was much easier for me to grasp and human behaviour was easier for me to grasp because of life experience and dealing with people. What was the bit you enjoyed the most in the degree? I think all the different theories of crime, because the degree really is about 
the psychological, biological and sociological theories of crime. And, and then they're not all, so there are uh, different schools of thought where some people are proponents of sociological in isolation to psychological or biological. But my I really believe that they all work simultaneously to contribute to the factors of of crime. So I really enjoyed studying those theories and the history of how criminology evolved. How did it evolve? Just give me a brief overview. How it evolved? Mm. Oh, I'm not sure what the time frame is. I'm thinking like the 1500s around that time. There was started off with phrenology and they thought uh, that, you know, the theories were very rudimentary and they thought that facial features and the size or um, landscape of your skull determined whether you would be criminal. And so, you know, it might be um, someone with a protruding forehead may be more likely to be criminal. And we laugh today, but they didn't obviously have all the science that we have now. Although um, in terms of like evolutionary criminology, Darwin um, in his book, The Origin of the Species, uh, in the last chapter, I think it was, he really pointed to the implications of his theory to psychology, which was really not well-developed at all at the time. Let's go back to Darwin. I didn't realise Darwin had actually said anything about criminals. What did he say? Uh, He didn't actually say anything about criminals. He said that his theory had implications for the future of psychology. I mean, that's not verbatim, but he did point to that and and it has. Um, and, And then the... Because psychology, I don't think, really took off until um, the 50s, 60s and then um, 70s. But, um, yeah, so he was prophetic in that sense. Wow. So you sent me a message the other day and you'd written this article, and thank you so much for sharing because that was the highlight of my day. You'd written this article about toxic positivity and I just went, oh, my God, I've experienced that so many times. And I've spoken on the podcast. I've I had a, a few people on to talk about toxic relationships but never talking about toxic positivity. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Okay. I actually had never really heard of the term um, myself, but I now realise what I was calling it was delusional positivity. Um, But then I realised as I started to unpack what was really going on, I was like, actually, there's somebody's already coined a term for this and it's toxic positivity. I was exploring the same concept, but in my mind, I was just calling it delusional positivity. And I have noticed uh, in the last, you know, particularly with the pandemic um, and social media, that this notion of toxic positivity has become more and more um, pervasive and these feel-good, only good vibes, you know, um, statements. And just in like with the advent of influences and marketing, obviously, um, you know, people don't want to see negativity all the time and it uh, and it is useful for influencers and marketers, um, and that, and hence why it's all over Facebook and social media, um, Instagram, and and all that. However, for me, so I had noticed it had come into my consciousness, and that 
Uh, there was this false reality being perpetrated. I think that's fairly obvious. Everyone recognises that at our age anyway. But <laughs> young people still <laughs> believe what they see. Um, but it also has permeated, like, personal relationships. Um, and I had a conversation with someone um, about domestic violence um, and about uh, the perpetrator um, of domestic violence. And their response was, oh, you know, everyone has their stuff to work on, right? And I thought, well, domestic violence really isn't stuff. Um, I think that's an oversimplification, an overgeneralization. Um, it's not all good. And so when someone's stuff is violating the rights of somebody else and harming them, it's you can't just explain it away with the whole good vibes scenario. And I felt like um, what I was saying was being minimised, dismissed, and it prompted me to start to think about why I was feeling that way and what it was I was actually feeling because I, it, I felt quite angry. Um, and then I started to explore what, why am I feeling that way? And I realised that I was feeling rejected and also that I was catastrophizing. Um, and I think that toxic positivity tends to do that to the person who's on the receiving end of it. That was really uh, what prompted me to write my little blurb. <laughs> I was really just venting and, and unpacking my own feelings of what is actually going on here. It's really interesting, though, because as soon as I read it, it really struck a chord with me because the scenario it took me back to was probably about 15 years ago now and a friend of ours and his new partner, and I'm saying new partner, they'd been together for years at this stage, but his, he'd had two kids with his previous wife. And his wife was stopping him from seeing the kids. And he wanted to send them to a very good private school. And his wife said no, because she didn't want them paying, him paying for their school fees. And the guy's new partner was going, oh, but it's all good. It's all good. And I said, no, it's actually not. It's actually, it's not a nice situation for either the boys or their father. It's not fair. And it's okay to feel angry and rejected and whatever else you feel. It's actually okay because unless you look at those things, they're going to stay there. And you've got to allow yourself to feel those things. She's going, no, 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 you don't. We're just going to look on this as it's all good. It's all good. And I, like you, I got really cross. <laughs> But I did feel the same that what I was saying, I can't think of the word, but I felt like what I was saying was it was being judged. And she said, I'm the most judgmental person on earth, so I can't throw that one at anybody. But it was also just dismissed my belief that, well, no, I think we've got to experience those emotions or they're not going to go away. And I'm not saying wallow in them, but experience them acknowledge them and then let them go it's not good and that lack of acknowledgement was just completely dismissed and I think that's yeah. what you're saying as well that was your experience too wasn't it yes that was exactly how I was feeling and 
but I felt like I was being, the implication was that I was a negative Nancy and only looking at the bad. But uh, I don't think, I can't think of any good in domestic violence, can you? I mean, um, no. And there's a no. Diff- but there's also a difference between understanding that everybody's got problems and going, yeah, that's fine, but this is not acceptable. You're making a yeah, choice exactly. here. We've all got a choice. You're choosing to do that, not acceptable, whether you see your choice or not. Still not acceptable. It's, a, it's, a, it's like a head in the sand type mentality or a see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil um, mentality. It's like it's nothing to see here. It's all rainbows and unicorns. I'm going to stick my fingers in my ears and go la, 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 you know. And the problem is if you are only ever um, of a positive mindset in all situations irrespective of circumstance while failing to uh, acknowledge negative thoughts and emotions, denying them, rejecting them and avoiding them, you will be hit by a tsunami. It is a bit like if you don't, you know, it's like grief. If you don't go with the waves of grief, if you don't go through the waves of grief, you will be hit by a tsunami eventually. It's going to come back and bite you. Um, And it's healthy to have negative thoughts and emotions. I'm not saying you shouldn't be positive, but where this thought process took me was I was thinking, well, you know, it's no, it's not you, Louise. You are able to feel negative thoughts, think negative thoughts and feel negative emotions. Um, these have developed for a reason. We as humans, um, from an evolutionary perspective, have developed them for a reason. Um, and that when I started to unpack that and think about that, I was thinking, you know, fear for example, which would be classed as a negative emotion, protects us from predators. If we would go back to our hunter-gatherer Stone Age time, you know, fear protected us and it still does. If you don't feel negative emotions, you are overestimating, optimistically overestimating the likelihood of a good outcome and underestimating the likelihood of an adverse event. So fear is there to protect us. That's why we developed that and it's also motivating. Anxiety is motivating. And, yeah, so I kind of went through my, my own self-talk um, and, and hence I wrote you that, that little blurb, it my was, rant. Yeah, but it was really, it was, and I'll put, I'm going to say, I was going to say I'll put a link to it or I'll put it up on the page or do something, but that's up to you. Let me know whether you want me to do that. That's fine, yeah. What is the impact? Because we see it. I never go on Instagram, for example, for this reason, because I don't like the constant looking, you know, it's all about looking good and isn't my life perfect and hashtag living the perfect life. And yet some days I get out of bed and the day's crap. (laughs) And there's nothing, there's nothing you can do about it. And it's not, I'm not. I'm generally a happy person. I'm a positive person, but I can't be 100% like that. And I find that if I'm surrounded by that kind of positivity, that where everything's good, everything's good, always look on the positive side, it actually undermines my self-confidence and my self-belief. And it undermines my optimism as well, because I'm 
start making it wrong about how I'm feeling right now. And so I stay in it, you know, because what you resist persists. So (laughs) that's my way of looking on it. That's um, what, what do you, what's your take on those kind of things? How do you deal with it? What's your thoughts about the impact of this toxic positivity? Yeah, so with um, like Instagram and social media, I understand, I intellectually understand that they are doing it for a reason. It's conducive to selling and marketing and portraying a certain lifestyle because usually it's linked in with selling an item or um, a product or uh, a brand if that brand is, that brand can sometimes be the person itself. So I can see past that. And sometimes those, uh, you know, it may not be just a picture of how wonderful somebody is, but it might be a little positive affirmation. And they, those little positive affirmations may be timely um, and it may be just something you need to see at that time and um, you're like, oh, I'll feel a little bit better or whatever. For me, though, um, actually, I derive more comfort when I hear people's stories of misfortune. <laughs> I know that sounds perverse. Maybe I am a negative Nancy. Um, because I think, oh, yeah, yes, I've experienced that too. A bit like when I sent you that um, blog and you were like, that resonates because I'm glad I'm not the only one. I've felt that too. Um and so what happens with the constant bombardment of positivity is people think, oh, gosh, I don't feel that way. That isn't my life. And so that's why it has that negative impact because it's unrealistic um, to be positive all the time and only live, have good vibes and, you know, that kind of thing. It's unrealistic and, and it's unhealthy because we do have negative emotions and we should feel through them because it's cathartic. And there are actually studies on the adverse um, side effects of positivity. Um, I don't have them with me and I can't rattle them off, but I know there are um, studies that support actually what we're saying because when I started to look into it, I was like, oh, okay, I've just come up with this kind of uh, theory, but there's actually data that supports the uh, this notion, what you're saying. Yeah, and I also find a lot of it, some of the people can be quite passive aggressive about their Mm. positivity as well. And that, yeah, I find that difficult to deal with because how do you deal with somebody who's on the face of it being very positive, but you know there's something going on in the background? You're just being gaslit by positivity. Yes. Yes, I thought yes. a bit like that, but, yeah, that's right. Yes, because you can't challenge it because it's like the smiling assassin. You can't challenge it because what they're saying, the words that are coming out are positive, yet you know deep down that the motivation is not altruistic, that you've just been done over, poked. And that's where it's insidious, and that's why, hence why it's called toxic positivity, I suppose. But it's insidious because... Uh, it's like beware of wolves in sheep's clothing because on the surface they, you can't really, you can't nail them on it because, but I just said uh, it's all good, it's, you know, and and so you can't argue with that, but you know you've been done over. Yeah. <laughs> you do that. And I think it's, for me, it was all about being able to give myself permission to go, I don't like this. 
And that was one of the things your article did for me. I mean, I've been saying I don't like this anyway for a while, but it was like, oh, fantastic. I've actually got some psychological, some authoritative backup on on what I'm feeling because that's important to us as well because when we do get gaslit and that kind of thing, we start to doubt ourselves and go, well, is it just, am I really a negative Nancy? Like what the heck is going on? Well, I don't think you're a negative Nancy. There's a difference between being a realist and a negative Nancy. I think there is where you were saying like that you felt um, gaslit because it's covert. When it's wrapped up in optimism, it's covert and that's where it's hard to take on. When someone's overtly rude, then you can can name it and shame it. But when when it's um, covert like that, it's much harder to to deal with. How do you deal with it? How, how does one deal with it? Not you personally, but how have you got any ideas for how people can deal with it? I need some because I just I just start yelling. <laughs> I think that to 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 speak directly about your feelings. Look, I know you're saying A, B, and C. But I don't feel like uh, that's really what you're saying. And I, uh, this is making me feel, you know, invalidated, dismissed, whatever it may be. And you, you have to talk about your, how it makes you feel. And you can't assume uh, that they are going to get it because they may, be, they may not be right. They, they may not be right in the head. <laughs> you know what I mean? Never assume that someone is neurotypical because they won't always receive it the way you think they should. That's actually a really interesting point because as soon as you said that, my mind went to a couple of people and I thought for all their positivity, they're actually real narcissists, like borderline narcissists, and they would not understand what was being thrown back at them. Yes. Well, isn't, well, it's the perfect mask. Mm. The whole, that whole, you know, only good vibes and positivity and all that. Because, I mean, it's a, it's the perfect cover for a narcissist. I hadn't thought of that because we do tend to think of narcissists as certain men who used to run certain countries. We tend to think of it like that, but there's actually, there's an abundance of them in the online positive mindset make loads of money kind of there's there's lots of them and when I think about it now I'm just going oh my goodness yeah. oh my goodness yeah yeah it um I think that is real I'm glad you said that because I have suspected this myself I mean it's difficult to measure but uh, I always think you know you've got to trust your instincts and some of those people are uh, using they're not I don't think it's genuine. This is the thing. It's disingenuous. And I think that's what's resonating with you is that it comes across as disingenuous and that's where it doesn't sit right and you feel like, "Mm, yeah, I've been gaslit or I've been done over. And when the answer to every question or the answer to every um, situation is only positive, uh, it's just you think, yeah, there's something not right here. The the other place that I was thinking of was when these online coaches or I don't know what you want to call them, influencers, let's call them influencers because it's not a coach, when they say ignore everybody else 
we're all okay over here and don't let the naysayers get to you and don't do that. There's, yes, I understand that, but my instinct tells me that there's something very negative in that at the same time. It's it's very, Hmm. I can't even think of the word. Do you you know the kind of scenario I need and what are your thoughts? You're a psychologist. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm not actually a psychologist yet, but um, and that's a long journey. But um, it, it's superficial. Is that what you mean? Like it's, it's very superficial, superficial. But it's also it it all it struck me as like playground mentality. Oh, the cool kids are all over here in our corner, and we're all doing okay. And unless they agree with us, we don't want anything to do with them. Just don't just ignore them because we are the bee's knees. You know, we're the special ones, the chosen ones. It kind of leads into that scenario too, or it can do, not always. Or it's or like there is no alternative. So if you're not on board with, I may not be, tell me if I'm not heading the right path, but um, if you're not on board with all this, everything I'm saying and doing and and um, posting, then uh, there's, there's obviously something wrong with you because my life's fabulous and, and so... It is, and and they will espouse all these kind of generalised positive statements Um, and they may not land with you, but it appears from the 20,000 followers that they have that it lands with everyone else and therefore you must be the problem, you know, there's something wrong with you. Is that what you Yeah, that kind of thing because I know I did it myself and I had to learn through going through that kind of thing. You know, you want to be part of the in crowd, but you kind of know that it doesn't fit with, and I can't, I couldn't put my finger on it. I know now it's some kind of gaslighting, but it's, you know. It doesn't fit with your value. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's the same, it's that insidious kind of, toxicity that you can't quite put your finger on it but you know that no this isn't right and I'm speaking from personal experience when you actually look behind the scenes when you get the opportunity to look behind the scenes it's like oh this is all fake (laughs) yeah yeah it's all icing and no cake yeah because there's no substance to it yeah there's really no substance to it underneath it all it's all just a veneer, oh, I, I believe. I mean, um, that's my opinion. Um, I haven't proved it, but instinctually I, I think this is just a veneer and the fact that you feel compelled to constantly uh, do this makes me suspect that you actually aren't happy or who you say, what you're portraying to be. That's a good point. You know, yeah, that's a good. And, and I think that where I was going with it is, I part of me knew that it didn't. I wasn't aligned with it. Some people will be. Yeah. That's fine. I knew I wasn't aligned yeah. with it, but I didn't have the self confidence or the experience to go. No, that's not for me. So, and I think yeah. we. That's something we all need to learn with this toxic positivity and everything. Is that we know. Deep down, we know whether we're being gaslit, whether we're being bullied, whether we're being manipulated, we know. Yeah, and I think so. And, um, you know, I once read, and I don't know who wrote it, if you have to say you are, you aren't. (laughs) 
You know, because it's a lot of, it, I think where you were going, I just had a thought um, with the narcissism, narcissism aspect of it, is it's constant, pervasive self-aggrandizing, but it's also, and I think this is where I just going with, run with this, um, I think that is where it doesn't sit right because it's also a humble brag. So they are showing, you know, they're self-aggrandizing but also doing it in, in a kind of humble brag at the same time. And that's where you're like, hang on a minute, this is not consistent and it's incongruent. Yeah, it is something like that. I read this fabulous book a while ago called The Mummy Bloggers. And it's about this. She's got to, I think Holly Wainwright is the author. Okay, I can't see. Oh, yes, Mummy Bloggers. That sounds interesting to me. That's right up my alley. It is fantastic because it's three female bloggers. Um, one of them is the working mum. One of them is the green alternative mum. And the other one is the perfect Instagram mother. And it looks at their actual lives and who they are really. And it was a, it's, I could just relate to it so much because I know somebody from each of them. <laughs> so it's a chicken every box. Yeah, it was it was fabulous. And she obviously knows a lot about that online space because, and, and you know, the perfect Instagram, perfect one, it did everything that we've been talking about in this thing. Everything's perfect. It's always positive. It's blah, blah, blah. It always looks good. She's a perfect mother and she's got these two perfect kids and she does all this, but she actually had a nanny and a PA and all sorts of things. And none of that was ever let on, acknowledged. Yes. Yeah. Yes, there's a lot of um, impression management going on. Yeah. Yeah. And then for us mere mortals, uh, those of us who don't have enough um, self-belief, they take that on as as reality and then I I mustn't be enough as I am because they're not really seeing the reality of the fact that she's outsourced all her parenting and all the <laughs> yeah. and her kids are probably miserable. <laughs> yeah. So how do, because I'm going to wrap up because we've been talking for a fair while now. How oh, you can do, cut any oh, of yeah, it. Yeah, I'll cut it It's actually been a fabulous conversation because we've kind of flowed from one topic to the other, which is just brilliant. And I I love conversations like this. You've been fantastic because you've just answered all my questions and I've put you on the spot a fair few times. (laughs) How do you spot when positivity is toxic? Is there a way of spotting Um. I think you've done a really good job of spotting it, for example, as you explained, through mummy bloggers and social media. But one-on-one, if there's, I'll give an example. Say you'd lost your job and uh, you're in the middle of pandemic and there's not a lot of jobs available and you are being vulnerable and explaining to someone, oh, you know, I've lost my job and there's aren't, there aren't many around in my field and I'm really worried because I'm, uh, I'm going through burning through money and uh, and I won't be able to pay the bills. And they retort, they come back with, oh, it'll be okay, you've got this, um, just think positive thoughts. Well, that I think you've got a really good case for toxic positivity. And I'm not saying that the person is intending to be toxic, 
I'm saying that it's often well-intentioned. When, when people don't have something uh, meaningful to say, they will draw on these pre-scripted positive statements to, in the hope to make you feel better. But what it actually does is diminishes your feelings of despair. Um, and and the, because they're overgeneralised, that person doesn't know you've got this. That person doesn't know that you'll get a job fairly quickly because they don't know your capacity, your tenaciousness, resourcefulness and ability to find a job. And, you know, you've got this uh, one will come, think positive thoughts. Well, the secret power of wanting is not going to bring a job and land it in your lap. You can't, you know, yeah. (laughs) It's interesting you use that analogy because uh, my eldest daughter was stuck in Melbourne. She's just moved up here. So she had two years of lockdowns. She lost two jobs. She was in a bad place. And it took everything I had when I was on the phone to her not to do that, not to try and shimmy her up, you know, and go, no, it'll be okay. I just had to just keep going. I got it. Yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? I got it. And that was all I could do because that was the only way she could offload. It was the only opportunity for her to offload. And if you hang on to it, it's going to stay hung on to. So I just wanted her to let it all go. She still hasn't quite let it all go, but she's getting there. And, you know, so that she can actually experience something else. And it goes against everything that I want to do as a mother because I want to make it better. Yeah. 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 I think um, that that's why I say I don't think not all people. Uh, say it with bad intent. They're not. They're in, they're intending to make it better um, and make the person feel better at the time. But really, what they want is someone to listen to them and and understand. And instead of just platitudes, because they're empty platitudes. Because you, um, thinking positively, or for example, or you've got this, or it'll be okay. They're not measurable. They're not. They're just um, subjective, abstract concepts. Mm. And there's no acknowledgement of what's actually going on for the person. I think that was emotionally thing for me. Yeah, like just I got it. I, yeah, I feel the same way. <laughs> got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then you did the right thing. <laughs> but because- I, I hadn't even thought of that. But that is toxic too, that that not being listened to and, you know, being, oh, you'll be okay, it'll all be fine, everything will work out in the end. Yeah. Yeah, will it? I don't know. Like, um, yeah, so I just think it's pie in the sky type thing. And one thing that I've learned uh, through the therapeutic process is when people are offloading like that, they don't want a fix they just want to be heard and they and it's helpful really just to reflect back to them what they're feeling you know paraphrase back to them kind of what they're feeling oh, i know i understand you must feel terrible you know and hopeless right now you know and that type of thing uh so that their feelings are validated um and that they know that you understand how bad they're feeling yeah that's a really i think that's more helpful yeah yeah yeah. Thanks so much for talking to me today. It's been brilliant. <laughs> oh, thank you for having me. I hope I did okay. You did great. So I'm going to put that article on the web page. Did you want to put um, a link to your social media or something? You don't have to. 
Uh, well, my social media is personal social media and then I have my business, but I'm not promoting that through this because I really what I was doing was just like bleh, and I <laughs> and then I just happened to send it to you because I thought it might be something you're interested in. And um, and then uh, you invited me to talk on it. I was like, oh, I haven't thought it through that thoroughly, but okay. <laughs> The last few weeks have actually been hilarious because Louise has been in a flat panic about it. She's going, I'm not an expert. You don't need to be an expert. It's a conversation and it's really interesting. Okay. <laughs> so I really appreciate it because I know that you had reservations about, about talking about it because you didn't feel that you could. But, you, yeah, it's been brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, I just wasn't sure. I didn't feel that I was qualified to talk about it. Yeah, no, you are. You're good. <laughs> I guess I'm not self-aggrandizing enough. No, no. And no toxic positivity here from either one of us. <laughs> oh, thank you for making it so easy. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's, yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you. for joining us this week on menopause marriage and motherhood make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite player and while you're at it we'd love you to leave us a rating on itunes or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show that would be amazing too be sure to tune in next week for the next episode and remember if you're busy thinking about what you can't have how on earth are you going to enjoy what you can have see you next week